Do you have a favorite Bible verse? Maybe, maybe it's a, a Bible verse you, you learned in Sunday school long, long ago. And when someone asks you, hey, tell me something that the Bible says, what, what pops to mind? What, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? What's something that you'd have embroidered and you'd, you'd hang it on your wall or, or printed on a coffee cup or you'd put a bumper sticker on the back of your car? I'm saying, what's a Bible verse that you would be willing to tattoo on your body? No, don't worry. There's no, nothing here. I mean, like on your neck, it would be that intense. Thinking, none, none of them, okay. Can we determine? That's the shortest one. There you go. Well, the most quoted verse from the most quoted book in the Old Testament in the New, quoted more than any other verse by Jesus himself, quoted in 11 out of the 27 books of the New Testament, and by seven of the nine authors of the New Testament, is Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This poetic prophecy of the glorious victory of the coming king written 1,000 years ago before that not-so-silent night in Bethlehem. It declares that, that David's Lord, the king, has a Lord who will sit at God's right hand, verse 1. That he will triumph over all of his enemies and rule them, verse 2. That he will lead a glorious procession of his righteous troops, verse 3. That he will be the only king and he will also be the only high priest, verse 4. That he will have divine power to crush all the kings with a little k, judge the nations and slay all the baddies, verses 5 and 6. And that he will pause during that battle to take a drink because he's only flesh and blood, but he will then also be exalted to the highest place because he is also divine. Verse 7, written a thousand years before Jesus and on his very lips, profoundly on the hearts and minds of all the apostles. This is pure prophecy, my friends. There is nothing in the ancient world, in the ancient history of Israel that they could determine, well, this, this must have happened here and then maybe it foretells. no. This, this did not happen until Jesus came. And, and because it's the most quoted verse in the New Testament, I dare say it's God's favorite verse in the Bible. I want to go out of a limb and say that. It could very well be the thread or, or, or the ribbon, if you will, that ties together the, the bow of God's incredible gift to us from, from the Hebrew Scriptures all the way into the Greek New Testament. It ties it all together together. Psalm 110, verse 1. By prophetic, I don't mean that King David, as he was inspired to write these words, knew what was coming. That he could see a millennia in the future and say, oh, this is what's going to happen. This is what will occur, and what will occur even beyond that. No, I don't know that he, he saw that, but he was inspired to put these words down. And then it was the New Testament writers looking back on Jesus' life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection and the light bulbs went off and they put it all together. That according to the apostles, when Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven and the Bible says he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. 
all these verses, we could quote all of them. Acts 2, 33, Philippians 1, 20, if you're taking notes. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, we'll read that in just a moment. Hebrews 1, 3, check out this one. Here's just one. Hebrews uh, 10, 12 to 13, the author of Hebrews putting together this prophecy of a king and a priest that we'll talk about in just a moment. When this priest has offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. In ancient times, when a, a, a king took out a rival king, just, for, just to kind of rub their nose in it, for a little propaganda, they would parade out that, that uh, losing king into the throne room, and they'd have a big ceremony for everyone to watch. The paparazzi was there, but they couldn't do this. I guess they were scribbling or etching in stone. Whatever they were doing, they were recording what happened when the king sat down on his throne and he used that rival defeated king as an ottoman, as a footrest. That would be a symbol that he had won. Now, you learn lots of different big words, theology-type words in church and Sunday school. And maybe even if this is new to you coming back to church or you've never been to church, some of these words might ring a bell. Here's one, incarnation. Have you heard this word? Incarnation is uh, divinity becoming humanity. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, God becoming a human being. That's the incarnation of, of Christ. As Pastor Frank prayed, this, this little baby, this little being, no crying he makes, forget about it. Of course he's crying, he's a baby, right? That's the incarnation. And then we have words like the resurrection. We celebrate uh, at, at Easter, but really even every Sunday, his rising again from the dead. And then we have a word, ascension. We have Ascension Sunday, that he, he rose to heaven, that he, he left his disciples. He, he said, just hold on, just hold on till my spirit comes on you in power, and he ascended into heaven. There's a word that you may not be familiar with, but those among us here in, in this Presbyterian church would be familiar with the word session. Do you know that word session? Our, the leadership of our church is called the session, the elders that gather together. And the word session means to sit. In what way is Jesus sitting? And he's not sitting around eating bonbons. He's sitting and ruling from heaven. A view that he rules with authority from heaven in his session, even now, ruling all over the earth. And that's exactly what we were singing this morning. Look again with the text at verse 1 with me. Now, King David says, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, the four letters uh, uh, in Hebrew that would spell out the covenant name, the personal name of the living God Almighty, Yahweh, uh, to his people. He says, the Lord God said to my Lord, what king has a Lord? Someone greater than himself, Adonai. God said to my Lord, Sit in power, ruling at my right hand until your enemies are a footstool, are, are, are like an ottoman, are symbolically and really utterly destroyed. And then he says, rule, God says, from Zion, that, that's an earlier name for, for Jerusalem, and rule over all of the kingdoms of the earth. 
I want you to understand how influential this passage of Scripture is. Peter, the apostle, in his first sermon on the day of Pentecost, where 3,000 people were converted to Christ, when he's bringing it on home, like he's going to, this is his final point. This is what he says. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it, exalted him to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He's poured out what you now see and hear. He's explaining to them why they're seeing all these disciples of Jesus speaking in their own languages, in all these different tongues, and proclaiming the greatness of God and that Jesus is the Messiah. Then Peter quotes Psalm 110, verse 1, and then he ends his sermon this way. Therefore, let all Israel be be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. He has made him king, And he's made him the one who can intercede for us, the anointed one, the Messiah. Peter means by this, by by quoting Psalm 110, that this prophecy broke through time and space with Christ's resurrection. Now, who else would would go to this same verse? The Apostle Paul, of course, in his letter to the Corinthians. He says in chapter 15, verse 22 to 25, if you're taking notes, but I'll read it to you. He says, for as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion and authority and power, for he must reign until he puts all of his enemies where? Under his feet. The apostles were looking back. They were connecting the dots. They were seeing how all of this was leading up to this moment. Now, where did Peter and Paul and the writer of Hebrews and and all these other writers of the New Testament, where did they get this idea? They got it from Jesus himself. Matthew 22, verses 41 to 44 And what's Jesus doing? We've seen it time and time again. What's he doing? He's arguing with religious experts. He's he's jostling with them, doing a little Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I don't know what he's doing, but but watch what happens. They're going back and forth, back and forth. And then Jesus calms them all down and then fires them up by saying this. It says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? he asked. They replied, he is the son of David. They they knew that, that it would be through that royal line of David that the Messiah would come. Jesus said to them, then how is it that David, speaking by the Spirit, remember again, inspiration, where do we get that idea? It's in Scripture, and Jesus is saying, David, through inspiration, how is it that by inspiration, David calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David, David the the prototype of a king of Israel, David the prototype of a conquering king, if then David calls him Lord, 
how can he also be his son? I, I, I love this response. Do you know what happens? It says, no one could say a word in reply. And then it says, from that day forward, no one dared ask Jesus another question. <laughs> They're like, we better go check this. So they go back to the scrolls and maybe he's right. Maybe there's something to this. Jesus connected the dots and then the apostles. Did you hear what I'm saying? I'm just kind of repeating myself over and over. It's kind of the, the same message. This was a promise long, long ago, fulfilled yet still not fully realized. And this, my friends, is the source of our joy. This is our joy. The glorious victory of the coming king. This is pure prophecy yet not fully produced. Not fully realized. That's why we're starting our year in the book of Genesis. And we're going to end 2019. If the Lord doesn't come back before then, we're going to end in the book of Revelation. Because we need to know our marching orders. Right? Pure prophecy. The Bible says if you believe in Jesus, you will come with him. It says, quote, arrayed in holy splendor. When he comes, the Bible talks about being heirs and co-heirs with Christ. They will come and, and rule over with him and have dominion over the new heavens and the new earth. Look at verse 3. That's what it says. God, God's people will rally beside him and serve beside him. Uh, but then verse 4 changes things a bit. It says that God's made a vow, and it's quite a strange thing for David to say. David is the one who would know more than anyone else that the king lineage of royalty runs through his house and that God long ago separated the, the line of royalty from the line of priests. But look what he says in verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Just let's make sense of that. Let's not brush over. What's a priest? What's a priest do? Some of us have different experiences of a, a, a priest, but a priest intercedes. A priest helps us stand in the gap between heaven and, and earth. A priest leads us in prayer. A priest makes those holy connections. What's he saying here? And who's this Melchizedek? Well, this is a bit complicated, so stick with me. In the Bible, Melchizedek ruled over the ancient city of Salam. It's the old name for Jerusalem. It used to be Salaam, now it's, it's Jerusalem. They changed the name. You can read about that in Genesis 14. And in that ancient time, this man, Melchizedek, was both the king, he was the ruler over this ancient city, and he was also the high priest. And there reigning in Jerusalem, Abram, who later becomes Abraham, has a great battle and a great victory, and he comes uh, to Melchizedek and seeing his authority and so moved by his authority and his position, uh, the Bible says that he gives to this priest a tithe. He gives him an offering. Later on in biblical times, priests came only from the order of Aaron in the line of Levi. So you could only have priests coming from this one camp, this one tribe in the big tribe of, of the Jews. Those that came from Judah, from David's line, the kingly line, the royal line, could not serve as priests. Kind of a stretch, but think of it as the separation of church and state, if that's helpful to, to understand. Think about what happens when you bring 
church and state together in power. Kind of combustible, isn't it? Well, the the Lord knew this and explained to the people that they needed to be separated. The only way the descendant of King David could become also the high priest was if the order of Aaron came to an end. And in the New Testament, we read that that's exactly what happened when Jesus Christ satisfied the demands of the law and made the perfect sacrifice, fulfilling all of the temple rituals once and for all by his blood. But he brought the two together. So now he rules as king. He rules over all of creation as king. But he also serves us as our high priest. He intercedes for us. He knows you better than you know yourself. A king with that much power and a priest with that much love and compassion. And then finally we see at the end of the prophecy that he will conquer as a hero. Verse 5 and 6, these are, are pretty intense to read. Words like crushing and, and judging. But the deeper meaning is the prophecy of Christ's second advent. And that is Christ's second coming when he comes again. See, when Jesus came the first time, the people of God were expecting a conquering king, weren't they? They were expecting a hero. They wanted someone to kick Rome in the in the rear, didn't they? They weren't expecting a prince of peace. They had no intention, no concept of thinking of a suffering servant, even though it was written in the pages of scripture. They would never think about or talk about in those terms. Their worldview was shaped by their culture. And in that time and age, all they wanted was a hero. They wanted victory. They didn't want a prince of peace. How have we changed in our time? We're so conditioned by our worldview and by our our culture. What do we want? We've flipped the script. Now the world is hoping for a prince or a princess of peace and comfort. The only acceptable Jesus is the meek and mild, friendly one. And yet scripture says, when he comes, he's coming as a hero. He's coming as a warrior. The Bible says when he comes, we won't be expecting it. The Bible says when he comes, it could happen at any moment. Luke 12, Matthew 24. Friends, that means that we need to be ready. We need to be watchful. And then verse 7, as I mentioned before, this is figurative, symbolic language, basically meaning that he won't leave the battle. He will finish the mission. Think about uh, in a battlefield, and there's, this alludes to a scene uh, in David's uh, conquest and, and, and life. We won't get into it, but think about in a battle scene, um, soldiers leaving the battlefield to take a break, especially the generals would take a break, and here it's saying, no, no, he will not take a break. He will not leave the field of battle until the mission is complete, until the evil one is destroyed. What does this harken back to? That he'll put his enemies under his feet. What does that remind you of? Our, our, our second sermon in the series, Genesis 3.15. See the prophecy from the very beginning and then in the middle and all the way to the end. He's, this is the promise of what's happening. And so Psalm 110 was interpreted and repeated and understood by the church for Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds 
and then thousands of years to understand this is all about the glorious return of our king, if you trust him. And if you trust him, then you know why we're celebrating Christmas. You know why we have these candles lit of hope and peace and joy and next week love that our king is returning and returning soon. If you believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Remember I said that Jesus knew the Psalms, all 150 of them. I said the Psalms cover the whole of human experience, of all of the emotional states that we have. Jesus knew them intimately. He connected with us. He lived and he was tempted in all ways we are, and yet he didn't sin, but he did it so he could relate to us as a great king, but also as our high priest. The Psalms are a call for all God's people to fulfill our mission And the mission is to invite the world to sing his praises. The Psalms summon the global church to take up the mission and the call of the world to join in trusting the Savior, to worship God for all of his beauty and splendor and magnificence, especially the magnificence of his mercy. This magnificence, glorious, global worship of God through Jesus Christ, that's what Christmas is all about. God's word confirms it, that Jesus is king and that the king is coming again. The word says he lives ever to intercede for his people because he knows you and he loves you. There's no reason to doubt. But the question I ask you this morning, I really kind of ask it every single morning is, do you trust him? I mean, do you, do you really trust him? You, you hear these messages each week that, you're giving more and more of yourself over to him, to, to trust him even now, even in the midst of so much happening in our crazy, mixed-up world. Say, no, but I, I want to trust in him. That's the message. You know, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, remember we, we started there the series. The stranger comes and starts to explain to them through uh, all the writings of Moses and all the prophets, how it's all pointing to Jesus. And then they invite their friend to spend the night. And when he breaks bread, their eyes are open. They realize it's been Jesus all along. And then he disappears from their sight. And they say, were our hearts not burning as he opened God's word for us? Everything was connecting. These people knew, but did they really experience it? and they go running to tell the others. How much more do we have the full revelation of God's word, his closed prophecy, it's all revealed to us in the pages of scripture. There's no other prophets coming. Once the book was closed and revelation was penned, that's it, because that's all we need. How much more should our hearts burn the passion to share this good news, to trust in Jesus no matter what. People ask me, do you really believe that Jesus is coming again? I mean, do you really believe it? Absolutely. I have no reason to doubt. The Bible teaches that Jesus is coming and he's coming soon. And so if you're here this morning, if you're watching online, and you are not a Christian, and you've not given your life to the Lord Jesus, please do so today. 
This is your opportunity. There's some here, say, I've been coming to church a long time. I've been coming, I've been part of the church, but you've never fully said, Lord, I trust in you. Do that right now. Say, Lord, I, I give you my life. I, I repent. That means I want to turn away from my sin, the things I know I'm not to do, the things that you've, you've thought, the things you've done, the things in your deep, deep past that no one knows about except you and God. So I want to give that over to you, Lord. I want to live a new life, but I need your help to do it. Please, Lord, help me now. Turn to him. There's no exact words. There's no exact prayer's prayer, sinner's prayer. But it's the intentionality of opening your heart to receive the greatest gift in the world. And some of you here might say, well, you know, I've done so much for the church. I'd say, amen, God bless you. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you've been confirmed. Maybe you've served and done so, so many great things in this world that I would just love to sit down and hang out and hear about how God's used your life to touch people. And that's wonderful, but it's never enough. There's nothing you can do that's enough because Jesus lived and died on a cross for your sin and rose from the grave. And he's waiting for you to do one simple thing, to turn to him by faith and to believe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are king of the universe. You are the only means that we have to connect with realities beyond our perceiving. And you are our hero. Yet, God, we are so easily distracted by what we can see and touch and what's going on in our lives. So I pray that you would cut through and reach our hearts right now. And we would open them to you. Lord God, there are some here that are struggling with great needs. There are some here, Lord, that are seeing all the celebration and preparation for Christmas and yet we're hurting inside. It's not um, a ho, 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 jolly good time. It's actually a sad time. For some of us, Lord, it's because we're, we're missing loved ones uh, who've died, who've, who've moved away. We're missing seasons of life that are, are behind us. Our, our kids don't call enough. They're so far from here. Some of us, God, can't make ends meet. We can't pay the bills, let alone put tree, uh, presents under the tree. Some of us here, Lord, are, are struggling to find meaning in life. We just feel like we're just spinning our wheels, just doing the same thing over and over and over again. Some of us here, Lord, there might be even some couples right now that are struggling in their marriage. Struggling, Lord, to living with someone that, that they uh, once fell in love with, but now it's just feeling like we're roommates, and they have to put on a brave face. They have to be uh, the perfect grandma and grandpa for their kids, and yet they're struggling. Some of us, God, are struggling with our place in life, in our single life. We're just trying to make sense in a world with so many families and couples and, and all the rest, but where do we fit into this community? Some of us, God, are, are struggling with addiction that is secret, that somehow it's controlling us. Oh, God, I pray for Holy Spirit, would you come by the name of Jesus and break those bonds of addiction in this place? God, bring 
your healing power right now. Lord, we know that you are interceding on our behalf. You can pray in a way that I can't put words to you, can't articulate, but there's someone here, God, that is in need of an answer today for this health concern. Is need is in need right now, God, of a healing touch. Please answer our prayer. Lord God, there are so many great needs that we're struggling with and facing on our own, and yet we want to be mindful of the greater community around us. So God, we think about Vine Maple Place opening this incredible uh, Hope Center and, and, and women that are coming there to be trained and to find a better path and, and job opportunities and get their lives back uh, in, in a way that they can sustain for their kids and, and have gainful employment. God, bless the ministries of Vine Maple Place. Bless our our mission partners in our community to Seattle, across the country. God, bless our missionaries that are serving you faithfully overseas. And we just want to lift up, even now, if there's someone here that, that you need prayer, just put your hand on that person's shoulder or, or take their hand, grasp them, and just start to pray for them even now as, as we begin to, to sing in just a moment. Lord, we, we, need, we need you now more than ever. And so we pray as you toss, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.